Life's a Mitch. Hey guys, welcome back. It's episode 36 of Life's a Mitch. So last week I got to speak to Addie Delaney from Tasmania to spoke about her circus school and uh, all of her work within young youth talking about consent and all things awesome. So go ahead and check out her details from last week if you want to get involved and she can do some great work in those avenues. Now this week we've got a bit of a, a treat. Uh, so Dan back from episode 20 um as you know we spoke about mining and he's sort of like a bit of a mentor to me he admitted to me that my next guest he was the protege to they worked together in underground mining and this next gentleman has some incredible stories i mean here are some of the achievements 160 countries he's been in bollywood films he was part of the first western group to not go to north korea and that's just the tip of the iceberg so i'd like to introduce our good mate johnny how are you sir Good, mate. How you going, Mitchie? Good, thanks, mate. So we literally just met. So pretty much on this podcast, um, I meet the guest the same time as the listener. So it's pretty cool. And um, you've been kind enough to give us some of your time today. So thanks for coming along. Yeah, you're welcome, mate. Yeah, no worries. And, uh, you know, first question is, I guess from your perspective, can you tell us just a quick, a quickly about the relationship between you and Dan, the connective tissue there? Well, me and Dan met at Underground Coal Mine probably about, I would say, 10, 12 years ago. He was like a trainee, like his dad's been in the mines all his life and virtually and um, as like father, like son passed it on next generation. And then, um, yes, I mean, Dan met underground. I was in the kind of same little team as him. So I used to be the electrician and he used to be the horse. He was carrying all the heavy stuff and I was doing all the electrical work. <laughs> he does look and, a bit like a pack horse, doesn't he? <laughs> that long chin. <laughs> He's like, a, he's like a machine, just anything heavy, you just lift it up and, go, and just, he'd be like uh, on a Schwarzenegger, you know, just pick it up on his shoulder and carry it over and like, no problem. So yeah, he was just like the, he's like um, yeah, Mr. Muscles. And yeah, I was like the electrician who was always like asleep in the, in the rib room kind of thing. And um, <laughs> yeah, we just got on because we actually, um, we had the same sense of humor. We, we played sports and then I convinced him to like actually go from Central Coast. He was in Central Coast at the time. And I convinced him to buy a place in Newcastle on the beach near the beach, and he, which he did. And he's um, really, uh, really appreciative of that. And, uh, and his wife, he's, um, and his, his wife that he's with now, she met at my 40th birthday party. So, um, yeah, she's, so he's pretty happy about that. He met his love of his life at my party. And that's I don't a- think he was. Yeah, I don't even think he was even too drunk. So, oh, how good! I mean, that's got to be bragging rights there, right? <laughs> it is. That's cool, man. So, yeah, look, as I said, quick, quickly recap. Dan and I worked together in the open cut pit that we were at. Um, he was a bit of a mentor to me. He um he taught me sort of finer uh, points about operating some of the gear there, and like we we bonded over like our mutual bond, for, mutual love for like all things comics and nerddom stuff, and just carried on like a pair of absolute pork chops. So it was pretty cool. So like the next generation de- comes along now. So, okay. So anyways, I digress. First things first, <laughs> Bollywood films. Bollywood uh, how, how the heck does one, because yeah, you've been to 160 countries and I'm sure you've got some mad stories, but my first question is how do you, how does one just become part of a Bollywood film? Yeah, that's a good question. Actually, I was fucking just, re- oh, but I can't swear. Oh, you can see, so, swear all you want. All good. So I was fucking just cruising around, being a backpacker. And um, I was in Mumbai, one of the biggest, I think it is the biggest city in India. And uh, I'm just cruising up the street and this, these random people come out, out and grab me and say, do you want to be in a TV commercial? And I'm like, oh, yeah, why not? This is the, so they give me their business card 
I said, look, if you find this number, we can organize a time and we can do a, like a little like commercial or something at Bollywood, at the Bollywood studios. And I said, yeah, okay. So I went home, went to, went to the hostel and had a thought about it. And I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm in for this. So bring the guys up. They said to come in the next day. And um, before we knew it, I was on the, on the screen doing this big commercial in India. And um, yeah, so That's we cool. did that. So I did that for a couple of days and um, like just hung out and I met other foreigners there because they got dragged off the streets as well. And I'm like, um, yeah, this is pretty cool meeting heaps of cool people and it was a lot of fun. And then um, this uh, director come up and says, you look like a bad guy. Like with your, with your, like I had a flat top hairstyle and kind of like, um, kind of like, there's kind of like a mohawk kind of thing. And he said, <laughs> We are doing blockbuster movie in such and such city in the middle of India. Um, would you like to sit like be an extra in this in this film? I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I've got no time limit. I'm just uh, traveling around the world. So he's like, all right, we'll we'll fly you up to this city. Um, you don't have to worry about nothing. We'll pay you. We'll give you our own chauffeur, makeup, makeup um, artists and shit like that. And um, yeah, we'll look after you. Don't worry. So anyway, yeah. Next day, I was virtually on a plane to this little town in the middle of no, well, it's the middle of Bunfuck, really. It was just like a little, <laughs> um, little town for India. And um, next thing you know, I'm like, got me a hotel room, and someone's knocked at the door and come and pick me up and drove me to the where they filmed this movie. It was called Aprahan. It means um, kidnapped in Indian. And um, yeah, I was like, fuck, I felt like I felt like I was a celebrity. And then um, when I was like, like. I didn't have to say much, but I was just like, had to act tough and look like a bad guy because I was like an arms dealer kind of thing. So, um, yeah, yeah so sick. <laughs> doing, doing extras and stuff like that. And, um, and, um, yeah, like I ended up like, like being in, in a, one of the extras, I was in a, in a big scene with a couple of guns and, um, two of the biggest, um, Bollywood stars in India. And it, when I showed that, when I showed that to the actual, uh, some Indian people that actually, watch Bollywood movies, I just can't believe I was actually with these actors. They said it was pretty impressive to be with these two biggest ones in, in India. So that's cool. Uh, I might yeah. have to might have to job you for a snippet later on. Check it out. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, yeah, so that's how that become come about. But it had uh, um all come to an end. And I thought I couldn't live off the wages that they were paying me. So um it was only I think it was about hundred US dollars a day. And I thought, geez, I'm gonna be like um I had mortgages back home and stuff, so I couldn't really hang around for that kind of wage. So, um, yeah, so anyway, um, yeah, I moved on and I did the Bollywood movie and it was just virtually, it was just like a tsunami when the tsunami hit. So I was in a place called Madras um, and about two days later, there was like a, um, just after I left Madras, I went to Bangalore and two days later, the tsunami hit. So I was pretty lucky actually. Oh, yeah. Same at the same time, you know, like to actually survive, surviving it all together. So, yeah, it's gnarly. So I would have been wiped out by that big wave. So, oh yeah, I um, I I I can sort of share some of my stories. I see, I've I've been to thirty five countries or so so far. A bit of catching up to do, but I remember um when do you remember back in Nice uh, a few years ago, circus sixteen, I think it was. There was a bus that slammed into the crowds of people in Nice and you know, people were killed on the streets and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was on a, I was doing Kentucky and I wasn't there like not even a month before it. Um yeah. around the time of the Euro football 
like European Cup, whatever it's called. And yeah. um, so, you know, I was there, you know, I, I don't know if it would have been there, like where that part of town was, but we missed that by a month. And I was once an extra on home and away. And yeah. uh, something similar happened. With, um, I was part of a talent agency and uh, I don't know how, but these Channel 7 producers liked my headshot. I don't know why they must like rough looking hooligans, I'll tell you. <laughs> and um, they liked my acting reel, which is still out there in existence on YouTube and it's horrendous. But they set me, sat us down in the diner and I started talking to these Zimbabwe like backpackers and we spoke about cricket all day. It was unreal. Yeah. And in between takes, you know, do you remember Colleen? Yahoo, only me. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it took 26 takes to, to shoot about 90 seconds of footage. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. they said in between takes, help yourself to the chicken, like to the catering cart. And I, I just about ate my body weight and chicken sandwiches and strawberry milkshakes. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, like, that's why I was there for a, like, I must have been there for a week. And it's just for a couple of shots. Like, you just repeat yourself on and on until they got it perfect, you know? Like, so you know, you know what I'm talking about when, when you have to get things perfect on, on um, TV. Like, yeah, and I, I just um I started talking to uh was it Ray Mar? I met Ray Mar, so you know the flaming mongrel the bloke himself. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I just said just being a funny. It's like, is it annoying filming with her? He said, "Oh, mate, you got no idea." Yes, I go to bed. You who only me? Oh, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> oh, and uh, that's the stuff nightmares come from. So you know, all that stuff. Okay, so yeah, that, sorry. That was- Nice was that? Is that the one where the the guy? It was a terrorist attack, wasn't it? Uh, terror- yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah. This specific scene, I think it was around '09, and at the time oh, it was okay. it was yeah. around like the Bra Boys were in town from Yabby Creek or whatever it was. Yeah, I can't. Right. I can't remember. I was never too much in the home and away. They paid me a couple hundred dollars and uh, they fed yeah. me, so it was it was all good. That's sweet, yeah, bloody hell. And uh, so okay, now the int- the interesting. I always, I always tend to gravitate towards people who are free-spirited world travellers like me. Um, 160 countries so far. It's actually, uh, it's actually 174. Well, there you yeah, go, 174. So all yeah. these articles five years old that I'm going yeah, on. So. Yeah, okay, I can't even count to 174. So, like, okay, where was – okay, obviously you love travelling and you're, you're a guy who likes high on adventure, love stories, all this stuff. So amongst your travels, where did it begin for you? Where was your first place that you'd ever traveled overseas? And what's okay, a highlight yeah. so far? Or what's several highlights? I'm sure you've got hundreds. Oh, shit. I could write a book, eh? Like, um, you should. But like, first, first time I went overseas was just like when I was a kid to New Zealand with my family. So I don't remember much of that. I was pretty much 11, 10, 11 years old. So it's a bit of a blur. But my first real trip by myself was like to, to America, like on a Kentucky tour, as you do. Um, 1835's bus tour, party, party. Don't see yep. much. You're always sleeping on the bus during the day. Yeah. But that was like virtually, he struggled on that way. It's just oh. like, it's lucky. It's lucky you're not driving or organizing nothing because you can just chill out once you're hung over next day. Like, um, yeah, just pass out in the bus. But you meet heaps of good people. I met heaps of good people in that bus, a couple from Japan, a couple from um, Puerto Rico. And I stayed friends with them. So I did, did this critique and within like, about two weeks of coming back from that Kentucky, I booked a flight to Japan to meet these guys that I met on the Kentucky. And then it was just a roller coaster after that. I just, um, I did a couple more Kentuckys for, uh, of Europe and uh, New Zealand again. And after that, 
I decided just to do independent travel, like because I just like the the freedom and the adventure kind of thing. So, uh, and my first my first trip virtually was to Spain, Portugal, as a backpacker, and um, it kind of like nearly turned turned into a disaster because we went to Morocco to a place called Tangier from um, I forget the name of the city. It's just a Spanish city, but you get a ferry over, and um, we got the ferry over. I was I met some guys from America, some US Marine guys, and I was with a, a girl from Australia at the time. And we virtually went over, had a look around this dodgy city, and I decided to like go out on my own, have a look around, buy some souvenirs, and I got rounded up into a corner by three guys, and they were trying to like um try to rob me. And I was lucky, like at the time, like uh, the US Marine guys were just around the corner and I started screaming out. And these black um, black African guys, they were actually like, um, they weren't Moroccan. I think they were like, um, I think they were like, um, like refugees. And um, they kind of like, they had the knives out and they were ready to, they were ready to kill me, I'm pretty sure. And the next thing, these two US Marine guys come, uh, I was calling out, screaming out, they come around the corner and when, when they saw those guys, they kind of like panicked and they just took off. And that anyway, I actually ended up giving them a wallet. Um, and that's just a, like at the top. So that was too late by that, but I, I was got my life. I still be alive, which was the main thing. So, um, and I escaped unhurt, unhurt. But the next thing was a problem. Um, trying to, trying to get back, back on the, bar, on the ferry back because I didn't have any money. So I was lucky those guys lent me money. And when we got back, I did replace my credit card. So it was a bit of a hassle. So yeah, that was the first real drama of traveling. So that was one, that's one of about a hundred stories. <laughs> well, you know, that's, that's pretty scary. The thought of like being sort of isolated, not knowing where your, like all your stuff is and having it taken from you and shit. Like it's, it's, yeah, I, I had a, when I was traveling through Paris, um, I spent a week with a friend, Samba, and then I loved it so much. Then I hopped on a bus because I was living in England back in, in circa 16. I'm like, well, I want to see Europe a lot in a small time before I start work. So yeah. I did a Kentucky and back to Kentucky, back to Paris again. And I was, I went out exploring, you know, half drunk and not speaking a word of French. And um, we, I just like noticed a, a group of guys we're, and um, shady looking characters. And I'm like, excuse me, guys, can you tell me how to get to this pub? And they're looking at me like, who the fuck? is this and then people started approaching me I'm like okay thank you and i'm only short and fat so it was comically my legs are going flat out and i'm only going about 2k's now <laughs> oh well things you do eh? so there was a dan recommended i know actually you recommended an article we spoke before and i'm just reading long about so i'll get you to there's a story about a gorilla i'll ask you in a minute but just going along so you you know you've been to many destinations, the likes of Pakistan, Afghanistan, North Korea. Yep. You know, so what What was it about traveling to a potentially hostile places that was appealing to you? So I met, so this, this I quote from the, from the news.com, I met this guy in Pakistan in 07. He agreed to take me across the border into Afghanistan and we went through some checkpoints and arrived on a street that looked like an old Western town. Tell us about your time in Afghanistan and Pakistan. That's awesome. Well, in Pakistan, I was like, in a place called Neshu and Peshawar, which is on the border of um of Afghanistan, and um yeah, I just met some local friends there, and I hung out with them during the days for I don't know probably about a week, and I said to them, I said I think I want to go to Afghanistan to have a look at that place, and they and um 
one of the guys said, oh, I have like um, friends from the Taliban and the oh. tribal towns over the border. Are we going to go visit them? I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. Sounds good to me. I'm up for it. This be a really cool experience. So um, <laughs> before you know it, he's organized a van. He's organized a van to actually like uh, take us across the border. There was no really passport controls. Like I think it was just like tribal areas and no official border crossing. So we're on this van, him, a driver and me just like crossing the border. Next thing you know, we go up to this, um, this old like shady town and um, where they make all the guns and stuff. Um, yeah, it's like, a, it's like, like gun shops everywhere. Like, and we stop and, um, I was like, oh, well, this is pretty cool. Look at all this, all these gun shops and stuff. Like they're made, making them handmade, like just without machines and stuff. It was pretty cool to see. And I went, got, went into the gun shop and I just got swamped by people because they, they don't see tourists, normal tourists there, I guess. And I was really a bit stressed because I had about 100 people around me, just around me, just uh, trying to talk to me and that. And I just ducked into the shop and the shop people were going, no, stay out, stay out. Anyway, I talked to the guys in that gun shop and um, yeah, they showed me a few things about how they make the, uh, the guns and stuff. And then I said to the guy, oh, can I get a photo with you with um, these, one of these guns? And he said, yeah, no worries. So he actually, uh, he pointed this gun straight at me. Like <laughs> I've got a picture of it actually. And I, I, and I was like, I was actually like, I nearly shit myself because I'm like, shit, this gun could have a bullet in it or anything. I hope is, that, is this the one here? That, that's the one. Yeah, that's the yeah. one. That's the one. Yeah. I'll post that later. Yeah. It's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like I was like shit I was like I was like, trying to smile but at the same time I was nearly shitting and um I was like okay so that was it I just thought I had to get out my friend's going Johnny come on come on it's too dangerous here let's go so we decided to go visit these friends which they also they had like a little little shop where they make all these guns and stuff I've got videos and stuff on my Facebook of it um filming them how they make them and stuff and um Anyway, I got to that, I got, I got to that place, and everyone's like, to my friend, why did you bring, why did you bring me, him, why did you bring him here? And I said, and they said, oh, he just wanted to come. I said, but don't you realize he looks like a U.S. Marine? He's like, he, uh, he, if anyone sees him, they can shoot him, you know. And my friend's gone, oh yeah, fair enough, fair enough. And I'm like, and then I started to worry, thinking, yeah, they're probably right. I'll probably do look like, like a, a army guy or something. And so they said look, he's not gonna, we're not going to let him go outside because it's too dangerous for him. So we have to keep him here tonight and then tomorrow we, you have to take him back to Pakistan. Otherwise, you, you, can, you can get shot or something. I'm like, holy shit. And then I started to realise this is a dumb, stupid idea to come to Afghanistan. <laughs> uh, I was like, so I was a bit stressed. And um, so, yeah, like I was in this little, little back street, like workshop place. And I just remember that everyone heard about me being there and they're all poking their heads through the door, having a look at me, this Western guy. And um, yeah, so we had, they looked after me really well. And the next morning they decided to like um, take me back to Pakistan. But this time, instead of relaxing in the, in the van, they decided to put me in the, in the back and put rugs and stuff all over me in case the checkpoints will, would like, you know, they'd take me away or something. So I was like really, really under panic. And um, yeah, we're going through, these checkpoints and I was in the back. Lucky they didn't they didn't check check the um check for me in the back or anything. They just let, let us through. But and when we got the last check, checkpoint at Pakistan, I said Johnny, you're alive, you survived. 
get, you can get out now. And I'm like, yes, yes. Like I was so, yeah, I was so relieved, Dave, like to get back into Pakistan, even though nothing really bad happened to me. It was still like, yeah, after that experience, I'm thinking that was probably a stupid, stupid move to go in those areas. And my friend's like, my friend kind of like realized too, he's probably did the wrong thing too. So, but yeah, survived that, survived that. And um, yeah, live to tell another story. Well, that's what we're here for. Like we we love, so you know, the listenership here is a few thousand people now, and like people will be going, "Holy shit, how cool is that?" <laughs> I mean, I'm 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 thinking like, I bet your heart was beating a mile a minute. But you also, do you remember when you, you sort of? There's always someone that you resonate with, and you put your hands in it like this, and you're like, "Please keep telling me more." <laughs> that's kind of fanboying. It's what I'm doing at the moment. I love I love that shit sort of stuff. So you know, yeah, it just it's all adrenaline. It actually, and when you when you survive places like that, you actually, it encourages you to like challenge yourself to more risky places, you know, like, I don't know, like before I had a kid, I was actually up for any, any action. I didn't care about the danger, you know, yeah. it was like, it was really, really, um, yeah, it was really, I lived for the, for the fear, even though I didn't like it, but it just, it was like a, it was like a drug, you know, you got addicted to it. Is that how you ended up in, um, so you were part of the first Western party to venture into North Korea. That- first, first Western group to go to the northern province, one of the northern provinces of North Korea. Yeah. How does so, how does one enter North Korea and be the first group of people in the north? How does that happen? That was luck, actually. That was luck. I wanted to go to North Korea, and I just saw these uh, this online thing saying this will be the first group to go to such and such province of the north northern part of northern Korea. I thought, oh, that's me. That's me. I want to do this. I want to be part of that group, you know. So I, I uh, rang up and and asked about it and emailed all my information and through and stuff. So we had to go. We had to go to Beijing first, organise all the video uh, visas, and then organise all get all the information about what you can't and what you can do over there. So we got on. Then we got on a train up to the north northern part of North Korea and. Um, we crossed the bridge, which which goes into the border, and it was over a river. It was so it was like a real strange way of entering North Korea. Like one bridge is on the Chinese side, which is nice; it's got all painted and maintained. And the second, and this other part of the bridge, the other half is all run down, no street lights or nothing on. It's just it's like it never been looked after. And we entered through North Korea border, and they and they're doing all their security checks and stuff like that. And um, before you know it, we're on a like a minibus going through North Korea, and well, it was like an eye-opener because you don't really see any footage of North Korea, like except maybe the capital city. Um, but like this is this is in the in the actual um, country areas, and it's super super poor, and uh, um, people like are staring at you because they've never seen some of them never seen a Westerner before. So you're in a bus and you put your hand out. The bus to wave to people and they look and they look again and they think wow that's a that's a that's a that's a foreigner and then they you could see them like they run around and tell everyone there's a foreigner in town and next you know there's people coming out from the houses and they're all waving to you you felt like um you felt like you're something special like it was like a really incredible experience and when you um i remember one thing um i was trying to get pictures and stuff but you it's impossible. Like they will not let you take any pictures of anything. It makes North Korea bad. So we're like, it's like these are like security people with us all the time. And they're always like 
keeping an eye on you, make sure you don't do anything wrong, or you know, if you don't, you don't go off by yourself. So it was really restricted what you could do. Um, and like, so I just remember like um, I was having dinner one night, and anyway, I started talking to the waitress, and um, and I just wanted to talk because she spoke some English, and I'm like, oh, that's amazing. So I was just trying to like, I just wanted to communicate with some of the local people, and um, I said to her, I said to her. I said, oh, I'm from Australia and all this kind of stuff. And she's like, she started talking back. And then the, and the, one of the guards said to me, do you like that girl? I said, yeah, she's a nice girl. And she says, do you want to see her in a prison camp? I'm like, no, why? She says, if you see, if one of the wrong, wrong person sees you talk to this girl um, and it gets back to the in the authorities, she and her family will go to a prison camp and um, for, for, for talking to you. And I said, that's, that's hardcore. Why, why is why they do that is because we are more superior to your race. We we don't want to be talking to someone less superior to us. I'm like, wow, that's crazy, eh? So Jesus. it was like, yeah, it's full on, eh? So it was just one of the like things I remember when I was trying to interact with some of the locals. And then I remember we uh, stopped at a little town just to get some lunch, and I kind of like snuck out on, on my own. And I started, I had a frisbee, and I started playing frisbee with the children and all that, and then. Uh, it lasted for about five minutes and then the guards come and grab me. They didn't want me kind of getting too much inf you know, information to the people and stuff. It's really, it was really hardcore because this is like back 10 years ago. So I don't know if it's changed now the way you do it, but this is like, it was really strict back then. So It makes you wonder like, you know, obviously it seems like they were trialing to have, you know, tourists and stuff and uh, maybe promote some, some business and whatever else, but you know, it's yep. a, you got to expect people are going to want to interact with the the locals and stuff, I guess. But look, I I don't wouldn't know a thing about North Korean culture, so I'm not going to speak of it in any way, shape, or form. But you know, like surely you'd have to expect that sort of thing when you let foreigners in, wouldn't you? Like, yeah, well, that's that's what you think. But I think I think that's what they they it's part of the experience of like I don't know. Is I think like from what I hear now, it's actually relaxed a bit more now, like because they've got lots of tourists coming in. But this is this is going back 10 years ago nearly. So it's kind of like, it was pretty, like they used to just go to the capital city mainly, uh, Popo Yang, and then like now, and then we're like, they were kind of like filling out the other destinations in North Korea. And uh, there was like a walk in that national park. Um, uh, we had to walk up to this arch. I've got the picture on me on my Facebook. And they said like, um, um, you'll be the, if whoever gets up to the first, up to this arch will be the first Westerner to uh, hike this arch in the national park. So I'm like, oh, I want to be the first. So I'm like, I just remember like there's an English guy with me and uh, he's a bit younger than me and I'm just like powering on. And I'm just like, um, yeah, it was, it was a couple of kilometers uphill. And yeah, I ended up like beating him by about hundred meters, but just so I'll get the picture on that arch, be the first person to be on the arch, you know? And um, yeah, so it was like, that was probably my claim of fame. <laughs> and the northern part of North Korea be the first one to find that arch. Well, I'll um, I'll make sure I put that in the bio. That's 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 quite the story. Like, um, that's a great picture too. I'll show you. I'll add. Yeah, I'll have to add you, but like that's the only arches I would run that quickly too. Are the one the yellow ones down the street. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's Mac time, motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll do that after. A big Saturday night or a big Friday night, just the golden arches. 
Well, it's there like might be is. a there might because Origins on the night. There might be a few beers put inside of me later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, we'll see. But that's cool, man. So like you know, North Korea, Pakistan, Afghanistan, just three trips that you've yeah. taken over the years. Um, all like potentially hostile environments. Um, so in terms of like memorable like outstanding moments like that one with the archers what's something where's another country that you've been to that's not considered like a normal place to go and another outstanding memory do you reckon any pop to mind Uh, outstanding place to go like i've been shit i've been lots of like crazy places um i've been to antarctica before yes how was that because i want to go there i want to go tell me about that antarctica was like um so you know how it's super expensive to get on the boat. It's like a twelve thousand so dollar cruise, isn't it, or something? Yeah, it's like minimum ten thousand roughly. So I just rocked up to a little place in Argentina called Ushuaia, and um, yeah, I was just hoping to be they get a cheap seat, but I just kept turning up at the at the dock and hoping that they've got a spare seat and cheap and sell it cheap. And they some people said, "Oh, that's a risk because it could take two or three weeks to find one of those deals, and or you could be lucky." If you're in doing it within a week, anyway, I just rocked up. I landed in Ushuaia. I dumped my stuff at the hostel because I had it booked in for a week. And I'm like, I'm just going to go check to see if there's any, any, um, you know, cheap seats on a on a on a cruise to Antarctica. So I was gone about an hour, and I just I heard about this like, thing like cheap cheap deals, like yeah, last minute cruises. So I went and seen them, and um, anyway, they were talking to me, and I said, look. We've got a couple next week and and one week after that you might be able to get on i said oh that's that sounds cool and they're going hang on there's one leaving in about two hours and i'm like serious he says yeah and there's one seat left it's 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 about eleven thousand it was about eleven thousand ten to eleven thousand australian dollars roughly i'm like oh shit i can't do that it's too much way too much and i said they said well what's your budget i said oh about about six six and a half Aussie and they're going, Oh, I don't think they'll take that. We can call them because they, um, well, they will see what they say. Anyway, they called them and she's gone, no, it's too, it's that's too, not enough money. And the, and the lady said at the office, she said, well, six and a half thousand dollars is better than nothing because you're not going to get anyone in two hours time. Um, and she's gone. Yeah, that's yeah. You're probably right there. Actually, if you can get down to the boat in the next hour, we'll take him. And, <laughs> So I'm like, yes, yes. So then all of a sudden I was like, shit, I've got to get all my stuff back to the hostel and get everything organised, um, get some gear, like cold, like you know, like cold weather gear. And um, yeah, I had an hour. So I'm just running everywhere. I went back to the hostel and I told them, I'm on a boat. Can I cancel me, me booking? Like, can I do it for, say, for when I get back from the Antarctica? And they're going, do you got, you got, a, you got a, a spot just like that in one hour? I'm like, yeah. And they were so surprised that we actually like, um, I actually so surprised that I actually got it in one hour. And um, yeah, before you know it, I was on the boat. And um, yeah, and I actually was sharing, sharing, sharing uh, like a cabin. It was like a, it was a four berth cabin and there was two other people in that cabin. And um, these guys had paid like, one actually paid like, like I don't know, about two years in advance. And he, and he paid like something like about 15000 Australian dollars so he was like like he was so angry because I, I paid a third of what he paid <laughs> and, and I was in the same room as him in the same food like everything so yeah it was a good deal eh so we um yeah it was for about 11 11 nights 12 days I think it was something like that and 
we did like hiking in the in the mountains like we did like kayaking through the icebergs um we did camping camping on the on the antarctica that was a freezing experience and That's yeah we did heaps of great stuff i i um i've seen pictures of uh like antarctica in the summertime but there are full-on beaches and green like greeneries and stuff and part of me is considering taking three to six months off and working on one of the research stations down there and uh and part i'm thinking you know i've got experience in earthworks and sometimes they hire people to take care of the runways and there's like a wide range of roles there and i'm like thinking do i do it um but hearing stories like that man like i'm jealous that's that's one of the biggest places i want to go to on the planet is antarctica um because i want to it's the most pristine place I've ever been. It's like you just you can feel you're so far away from civilization. It's so it's just like so clean down there, and it's just yeah, it's a different world. Like when you do it, you can just feel like you're in a, an amazing place. I eh? it's words words can't even describe it until you do it. A eh? and when you do it, I, I I'd totally recommend to do like one of the the base camp ones because you're actually on the you actually stay on the on the actually Antarctica and do stuff. Where some of the cruisers just gone cruise by and they don't really do much, too much, just go through the fjords and stuff. But yeah, like yeah, I definitely do do when we like do some hiking and kayaking and stuff like that. It's the best experience ever. Yeah, I think I'd want to like actually touch foot on the actual continent itself as opposed to cruising past. Um, so I might have to pick your brain about that at another time because the closest um, port to Antarctica is that southern part of Argentina or Chile um, around there somewhere. So you're probably, yeah. yeah, like at the closest possible point you could have been geographically. So how fortuitous, how good. It's so good. You definitely put it on your bucket list, Mitchie. Oh, I will for sure. Like one thing I want to do, like obviously be, the big five for me, Scandinavia, the Northern Lights and stay in the glass yep. igloos. Um, yep. Antarctica. I want to do like, I want to do the whole US thing. I haven't done the US yet. When, you know, Rona pisses off and people stop eating bats, of course. Um, yeah. and I want to, I want to go, um, sort of down through Southeast Asia and trial, like there's a motorbike trail you can do through Vietnam and Cambodia and oh, uh, yeah. that'd be pretty sweet. And, yeah. um, you know, just more around Oz, I've done every state and territory bar too. So I want to do more around here and see the Southern lights as well. So that's, and I'm sure you've done all those. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I probably have actually, I've probably much done everything that you said and i'm doing western australia in two weeks time uh we're going like i'm finishing all that off the kimberleys and um up the coast to broom and swim with the whale sharks there and all that kind of all those activities and yeah taking the family taking my, my wife and my little boy he's six years old yeah he's nice. like 48 countries now so he's 48 um, countries by the time he's six yep yeah wow. he's done for yeah, and he would have done if it wasn't for that fucking corona. He would have done probably a hundred by now. <laughs> we had a big plan, a big trip planned last year of South America and, and Middle East and, and Europe for like six months, and yeah, it just fell through because everything got you know as it did felt canned. So, we'll so just have you, travel Australia how, now. Are, you, are you taking advantage of the travel bubble going over to NZ while you can, or just sort of seeing more of our own country at the moment? Uh, just do it now, like mostly our country because I've. I've probably done just about everything in New Zealand. I've been there about six times. So, um, yeah, I think Oz, to be honest, Oz is an amazing country. Like, I didn't – I was going to do it when I retired, and I'm glad I saved it 
for that because now we have nowhere to go and I've got all these places in Oz to visit. And yeah, it is, it's definitely the best country in the world, eh? Yeah, nice. Definitely. Is there, so for someone who's done almost everything, when Rona fucks off, where's the next destination for you, do you reckon? Um, I don't know. We pro- we're going to probably do, um, I was going to do some of the, more of the specific, like uh, Vanuatu. I've done some, most of the Pacific before, but I haven't done really the remote islands, like Vanuatu, do the, do the bungee jumping there and um, and like all the um, Tonga, do some more islands there. There's some beautiful plus places in the Pacific Islands. Um, I want to do West Papa as well, do that, do some of the tribal people, uh, tribal villages up there uh, and probably take my wife and kids to South America because they've never been to South America yet. So that's on the trip, like uh, on the, in the itinerary because yeah, I think South America is probably my favorite continent for adventure and, and just, yeah, general travel. It's yeah. easy and it's a little bit, little bit dodgy in places, but if you use your common sense, it's, it's a great place to travel. Eh? I definitely yeah. want to get a Machu Picchu as well. That'd be sick. Machu Picchu is definitely, you should put that on your list. And um, yeah, like, I mean, in general, like everywhere in, in South America, so many cool, there's a, the, the, what do you call it? The backpackers trail, it goes all around. If you follow that, you see some amazing places and it's not so expensive compared to Australia. Oh, that's good. Lucky I'm a coal miner, eh? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I, um, there's a, there's another, there's another, something else I want to ask you about. So Dan and yourself told me, they said, Google the term, your name and gorilla. So <laughs> the article states, Johnny Clifton, three meters onto this gorilla's back, <laughs> gets ragdolled. <laughs> this 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 is a type of video that seems like it would have went viral, and it's um I'll put this in the link too. This is flipping hilarious, and um so can you can you tell us about you? Obviously, you're a curious you're a curious George, and you, you know you want to make the most of the experience. But can you tell us about getting bitch slapped by a gorilla, like an actual gorilla? Yeah. That was um that wasn't planned in the, in the trip actually it was just it just happened so quick but um yeah I just on this like you get you pay uh, I think it was like six hundred US dollars and they give you a guy and a couple of guys with machetes to like cut yourself through the jungle and stuff and they kind of track try to track the gorillas where they are so we're like after a couple of hours you come across the first group of them and um they were just like walking straight past us like we weren't even there it looked so peaceful. I'm like, wow, these these animals are amazing. Like they they don't even like seem like they care about human, you know, humans around them because they're just like virtually just like stomping past us and just like it was like they were, were invisible, eh? Like we're only like about 10, 10, 20 meters away from them. And yeah, it was like unbelievable. Anyway, we kept on moving on to a different group. And um, I thought I saw one at the back, back of me with a with a baby. I'm like, I just go take a photo of that one. It's got a little baby hanging off it. That'd be so cool. So I kind of like left the group, which I wasn't supposed to do. And um, I started following this gorilla, taking a video of it. And um, then all of a sudden she got really angry. And I kind of like, I think she kind of got backed into like a a dead end with a track. track, And then she's just like, I just remember looking at her and she's turned around and she's kind of like, give me a growl. And I'm like, oh, this is not good. And um, anyway, she went to take a swipe at me and I kind of like went back and she missed me. And then the second time she connected, 
And she just threw me like, 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 like no effort, like a bitch slap and just like threw me about three meters through the air and I landed on my back. And um, yeah, before we know it, I was like, I just thought, shit, I look up, I was expecting to be just, you know, killed there and then. And she's like, I looked up and here she is just disappearing in like into the foliage kind of stuff. And I think she was more scared than me. So um, yeah, she just disappeared. But yeah, that, that, um, that slap was like very powerful. And it was only a female, you know, if it was a silverback, it could have been, probably would have been thrown 10 meters. I don't know, but it was, yeah. You can just appreciate the power when you see the video, how far I actually get launched. It looks effortless. Like you, you're it's, so it's from a first person perspective. I'll put it up later, but like this gorilla turns around to a right hand side and sort of like flying away, like swiping a fly and effortlessly yep. you fly through the air and it's like, like, holy shit did that actually happen yeah it just happened yeah and i mean like the, I, it just happened so quick like i i, I didn't expect it because it was just virtually i was filming and i just remember that i just remember like a growl kind of like a growl kind of thing it was like like a like and i'm like shit and i was like that woke me up and then i was prepared for something and she just went to grab me and i was just like i kind of went back you can see i went back and then the second time she just got me and just got me on the like around the hip and i was just like flew i'm like holy crap this is this is like i, I was like I landed, when i landed i'm like expecting to be her on top of me trying to like kill me or something and she just run off so i was super lucky and then that because i script like um the, the actual guard guy heard me he's come up and he started abusing me which yeah it's fair enough i did the wrong thing and um he said if it was a silverback um he said one guy died from silverback and the, his thumb, the silverback's thumb went through the guy's heart. It was that powerful. Jeez. And I'm going, holy shit. Okay. Yeah. So respect to the silverbacks, I eh? respect. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> don't, don't, don't follow them around. <laughs> but you see like videos, like, like if you've seen the videos where the, where the guys are like, um, yeah, they're just sitting there and the gorilla comes up and kind of like plays with them a bit and then walks off. You've got to be, he's supposed to be like, super um like super still and try not to give any contact or eye contact just act like you're dead and they just leave you alone you know well that's yeah. um you know it's i'm hearing these like yeah I've, I've never seen i've only ever seen a gorilla in the zoo so if one come up to me i mean i know a few people in my life are big and hairy what bloke i used to work with was named the silverback but he um he just ate chips like they were going out of fashion he wouldn't be strong at all you know the old bingo wings Yoo-hoo, that flavour skin. It's like, oof, mate. He rec- I reckon he could have just about flown that bloke. Whoa. His nickname was Gravity because he just brought everyone else down. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good name. <laughs> All right, so every week um, there's a there's one consi- oh, two consistent things. One is great storytelling. Yep. And two is a section where we have a whinge, wine, sook about whatever is ailing you. So I was wondering, would you like to have a bitchy with Mitchy? Yeah, I'll have a bitchy with Mitchy. Is there yeah. something that, that ticks you off or while you're thinking, do you want me to go first? Well, yeah. Yeah, you can go first, actually. You go first. Okay. So being a bald man, I overcompensate by growing what essentially looks like an orange armpit on my beard, on my chin. It looks horrendous and I should fuck it off. But, uh, you know, so the thing that pisses me off is that, one, you could buy yourself a razor and do it yourself. Sweet. But I always I always liked going to get a haircut. And um, these days it's a quick barber run. And then you get a beard trim or whatever, and you're on your way. What pisses yeah. me off is that it's more expensive to have your head shaved 
than what it used to cost me to get it fucking cut. And it's just like, are you serious? Oh, yeah. So I was like, I had beard trim and a haircut. I was out at a local shopping center here. Beard trim and a haircut. Dude, and stupid me didn't look at the wall. Fuck, I'm stupid. And they're like, oh, yeah. So five, 15 minutes, it'll be $52. Thanks. I'm like, fucking what? There's not even $52 a hair on my body to get rid of. <laughs> and he's like, I don't set the prices, mate. I'm like, oh. And then I got attitude. I'm like, oh. so I paid it, walked out. And I looked at him like, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> it was like a bad breakup. It's like, oh. well, so my bitch was that utter heartbreak I had to face. And the fact that it's ridiculously pricey to repair off my head. So in future, I'm going to stick to the local barber. Thank you very much. <laughs> Quick one this week. <laughs> Fuck that barber. <laughs> well, I don't I don't know, like, I've been having a bitch about um, the people like today. I was just reading in the paper about people saying about our coal mines, um, like, they, like, they say, like, get rid of the coal mines in 20 years, you know, like, and everyone wants to get rid of the coal mines. Yes, all these people want to get rid of the coal mines. But I think, like, like if you look realistically, we still need coal at the moment to, like, produce steel and uh, electricity. Like, we haven't got the technology yet to actually fully support renewables. So, a lot of people aren't being re- realistic about uh, their views. Like, like they don't I don't think they understand the concept of electricity, how it works and stuff. Because being an electrician, like you know, you know, as you as you know, I am like you understand how electricity works and stuff. And there, of course, it's going to be good in the future to you know, have any like newer, uh, friendlier things to protect the environment. But like uh, at the moment, yeah, you, you have to accept that coal mines are going to be around for a, a fair while. I think because we need them still, and it's the other thing. Our economy—it's a, a second biggest economy uh, earner. You know, like we need it, and without iron ore, coal, we'd be our economy would be struggling at this moment. So that's my little bitch at the moment. Well, you're exactly right. Like I work in the same industry as you, and you know, I've been—I get ridiculed sometimes. Ridiculed sometimes about like um, I used to date a girl. And uh, her cousin was a an environmental scientist. We're, yep. having, we're having dinner at uh, someone's birthday. And I come up in conversation what I did for work. And the environmental scientist says, pardon me, she's like, okay, so what are your thoughts on coal mining itself? I said, well, realistically, necessary for now. Am I for green options in the future? Yeah, I am. Of course I am. But for now, it's a necessary evil. And I figured, like, it's going to be a high-paying role, so it's going to be there regardless. So why not jump on board and make money while I can? That was yep. what my mining career is predicated on. And uh, we're talking and uh, she's like, so what do you know about the rehabilitation standards in your mind? I said, well, I'm not obviously as well versed as her. And it seemed like she was flexing her scientist muscles and like, I'm okay, it, it, this is how it is. Each mine, you know, is, has to work in accordance with the EPA. So the environmental protection agency and, you know, yep. they have to adhere to things like how much noise they produce, how much, like carbon emissions, how much, you know, dust and sand and all this stuff. And re- yep. as part of the, the the conditions is that open cut mining has to be re- rehabbed. So you take the coal out, you replace it with rock, eventually put it back to the original level, um, yep. rehab it, and then plant, plant, plant trees and stuff later on. And, you know, as long as it isn't a sensitive area, like some parts of the mine aren't touched due to, you know, endangered trees or animals or whatever. So, like, there are obviously scientific experts who go in, make these 
standards and we have to work in order to have to keep the operating license to coal to coal mine and so i explained that to her and she thought because i was a coal miner i was a bit of a simple like idiot and essentially yeah. i am i'm just a bald bloke who operates gear and um yeah. she's like so you know some section this standard i've just i looked at her and said dal you know it's okay you don't need to be con you, you your science degree doesn't make it that you need to be condescending. I'm just here. I'm just a person. I'm not being con. I said, well, now you're being defensive over a small statement like that. And she wanted to, she wanted to keep like at me. And I was, the girlfriend's like, Oh, just take it easy. Mitch. I'm like, no, let me ask you some questions. Question one, <laughs> what got you into environmental science? Oh, I'm passionate about the, the earth and that. Okay, cool. Question two. And when you're in your laboratory, where does your electricity come from? Or the power station, which is powered by our coal feed. Boom. Smashed out of the ballpark. And I, you know what I said? I'm Mitch <laughs> Kelly. <laughs> I don't know why. I was, like, oh. I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> and I realized that no one at the place knew me. I got kicked by the girlfriend. Fuck. It's like when they, I was talking to these guys about electric cars the other day and they saw the way the future, I'm like, yeah, but are you going to plug them in, aren't you, to the PowerPoint, are you? And they're going, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be good for the environment. So, but what's, what's the, where's the power from the PowerPoint coming from? It's going to be done by coal or some fossil fuel, isn't it? Yeah, and they, they just go speechless, you know? Like, it's, it's like, you've got to use your common sense and stuff, like a lot of things, eh? Like, and they just, I think when they, they think of green energy, it all sounds good, but realistically, it's not, it's not like, um, 100% efficient, you know, so you do need uh, coal for energy and you do it for steel making because the technology, that's the only technology they've got at the moment that makes steel, so it makes steel, so until they can find something, we stuck with coal, they've got, they got to accept it, eh? like, just, um, yeah, I'm always having debates and they always think I'm, because I'm a coal miner, I'm biased, but I'm, I'm just being, I'm just telling them how it is, you know, it's just being realistic, you know. Well, that's what, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Like the issue is, I think amongst a lot of circles is that people base their opinions on what they're told and too lazy to do the research themselves. And I yeah. just think, yeah, just, you know what? Coal mining will be a thing in the past eventually, but yeah, cool. But mining's always going to be needed. You know, things like Tesla batteries need uranium. Um, things like, you know, steel production still need iron ore and coal, and you know, yep. ultimately, mining will still need to be in some way, shape, or form. But to those who want to have a, an in-depth discussion about, you know, carbon emissions, global warming, and you know how mining affects the earth, cool. I'm happy to sit down with someone and have a nice, intelligent, fact-driven conversation, and not be biasedly try to be condescended upon. I'm Mitch Kelly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally agree. Fuck totally agree. Oh. Well, um, you know, you said you said um just before you you you've been working as well on some um some drone uh, photography. Do you do that professionally or just as a, a hobby or just as a hobby? But like I've had um yeah, I've had a lot of people want my pictures and stuff. Like I've trapped from my Australian trips and stuff. Like uh, a lot of people actually um asked for like a copy of some of the uh, photos I've taken so they can blow them up and put them on prints on their walls and stuff. Had the ABC uh, contact me last two weeks ago about uh, my Pink Lake 
photography with a drone. They want to use that on a documentary there. Um, so yeah, I've had yeah a lot of people interested in some of my photography, but I'm not I'm not professional. I just do it like I'm just a coal miner, you know. Like I just do it a, a hobby as my spare time. But I really really like it, and I, I think if I was going to do something outside of coal mining, I'd do something like that, like drone photography or something. I mean, the money's probably not as like mining, but it's like I love doing it, you know, just flying drones and trying to get some good photos. Yeah, there's got to. I, I've spoken about this before, but there's got to be at some point you got to do what's right. And, you know, if you're going to spend, you know, you'd, you'd be able to equate your right to this. You're going to spend a large portion of your life earning money, then you need to have yeah. a side hustle, you know, and obviously yours is traveling and photography and mine's talking yeah. to people and carrying on like a dickhead. <laughs> I'm Mitch Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> Promise it's the last time I do that. Or is it? Nah. So, oh, if um, if you're ever keen to, if do you have like an Instagram or something where people can check out your work? Yeah, I've got um, I've got like uh, it's Instagram called Global Backpack. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, I've only got like three thousand followers, nothing big, but like it's only three thousand. That's a cheeky, you know. I think I've got about two hundred and six. It's not like it's nothing. It's not like those hundreds of thousands of people like get hundreds of thousands and millions. But mine's just like my own. My, my own experiences and yeah, with my family, a lot of them. So yeah, it's all my, on my Instagram account. So yeah, I just put it all there and it's like a, it's good to have that. Instagram's good in a way because you can put all your best memories on there as well. So it's like a, it's like a, a like, what do you call it? A, a blog of your, all, your, all of your experiences and stuff. Yeah. Well, I'll make sure to include that in the bio underneath and I'll get the correct spelling, but yeah. um. Might wrap things up there shortly. Is there anything else that you want to mention that you haven't sort of gone across? But no, nah, it's all that's about. It. Yeah, that's just I could I could talk all day about stories like we've got hundred of them. Hundreds well, of, hundreds get, you, of, yeah. get you back on have some more. I definitely yeah. I rec- definitely reckon we should have schooners one time and just have a good like a good old laugh. I reckon it'd be sick. Yeah, well, like uh, we'll be on the grain store tonight. Dan's coming if you got nothing on tonight. Um, I'm Mitch Kelly. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I might, I might pop down. We'll see. <laughs> So we'll be there just having there's about a group of ten of us. Like um so did you know Benny Matthews? Uh, Benny Matthews doesn't ring a any of those guys? Yeah, they're all that's not boys. So they're coming down for a few beers. Yeah, it's gonna be uh yeah, we'll definitely catch up for a beer. Dan's Dan the man is always up for a beer as well. He um yeah, he mentioned it, so we'll see how we go. But for now, I'll uh hey, thanks for coming on. And uh no yeah, I'll make sure to check put your spelling in the bio and uh that's episode 36 guys so bye for now thanks for your time mitchy thanks mate